0: Our journey through the book of Romans this week, and you have to know this feels uh, intimidating for a, a minister to do this. I went to my library and I got all the books on the book of Romans this week, and I filled up one of those banker's boxes with just books about the book of of Romans and I was like, Yeah, I gotta go through and read all these. I've gotta go through and understand all this before I, yeah, that's, that's exactly what happened. I didn't read all that, I didn't understand all that. Um, but it, it just sits over there in the corner of my office as a reminder of how much has been done mining the book of Romans. ...for all the incredible truths that are logically presented there. It's no coincidence that I could have an equal number... ...of big banker's box full of books, if not more... ...of books that are in my library that have bad opinions... ...and wrong opinions about the book of Romans. Because if you're a cult or something like that... ...and you're going to corrupt the Christian faith... You're going to have to get to work on the book of Romans pretty fast. You're going to have to deal with and address the very logical step-by-step teaching that's in the book of Romans of salvation by grace alone through faith and that our salvation is receiving the righteousness of Christ and uh, Him receiving our sin and then us moving forward born again, justified, living out the Christian life. You're going to have to disrupt that logic somehow or else you're just not going to be able to start a cult. You're just not going to be able to start a false religion because it's there. It's in the book of Romans. It's obvious. That means that in subtle ways, I'll bet every one of us have heard sermons and messages and even thought in our own minds wrong things about the book of Romans. Because if we understood the book of Romans, if we understood our justification, if we understood our identity, if we understood it, we'd be different people. We wouldn't be nearly as worried as we are. We wouldn't be gnashing our teeth and wondering if we're saved. We wouldn't be struggling as much if we understood the logic of the book of Romans and received it and believed it by by faith. I think if you have a pretty good grip on Genesis 1 through 11 and a pretty good grip on the book of Romans, there's not much anybody can do to mess with you. Once you get that, you have all the major doctrines of Christianity set before you and salvation ...by grace. Well, it's in this coming year... ...that I want to take a close look at the book of Romans. I say coming year. I think maybe we can get through it in a year. I'm not sure. One of my uh, mentors, Jack Arnold... ...he took quite a while to get through it. It was 60 messages that he took through the book of Romans. I went back and looked at his notes... A few days ago, after I'd already finished most of my sermon, I went back and looked at his notes because I didn't just want to copy him. Because if you knew Jack, you'd just want to copy him. you just want to say what he said and do what he did. And he did uh, five messages just on the first seven verses of the book of Romans. One of them, he just took the phrase. He took the phrase where it said... Um, Descended from David according to the flesh. And he did that whole, he did a whole sermon on on that. One of the things that Jack said in his first sermon on the book of Romans in 1990 was the only hope of Christianity is the rehabilitating of Pauline theology. It is back, back, back to the incarnate Christ and his atoning blood, or it is on, on, on to atheism and despair. I wish he was here to tell you more about it. He died 15 years ago, just a couple of days ago. It was the 15-year anniversary of him passing away as he preached in front of me, about as close as you are to me to you, and he just dropped dead right there while he was preaching. I don't intend on doing that. But if I do that, you've already got Jack's notes on cleartheology.com. You can just go there and look up Jack's notes and see a, a great version of how to get through the book of Romans. If that happens, I, we've got backup. To get the right perspective on the book of Romans, it's not just about doctrine. It's not just about here's the doctrines you need to know. The book of Romans comes in a time of Paul's own life, Paul's own ministry, and the redemptive history of God. I'm not going to get into uh, Paul's life and ministry and the situation that this was birthed into right now. We've got plenty of time for that. But I do want to bring us up to speed on where we are in redemptive history and how it formed what I believe is the purpose ...of the book of Romans. Let's go back to the beginning. Genesis is all about the struggle between the serpent and the Savior... ...between the line of Seth and the line of Cain. And if you read the book of Genesis in terms of focusing on its genealogies... ...you can see that those were the two people that were fighting each other. Those two families fought each other all the way through the book of Genesis. And it's a story of war. You see that continued in Jacob and Esau, and this continues happening, and then becomes more intramural when you get to Israel being founded, because as soon as Israel is founded, you've got conflict between the line of Saul and the line of David as they struggled and wrestled over who was supposed to be king. And as soon as Solomon dies in 2 Chronicles 9, what immediately happens after that? Civil war. Once again, the nation is thrown into civil war that doesn't stop when one side wins, the other side loses. It only stops when the Neo-Assyrian Empire comes in like many would do and crushes the ten tribes with its boot. The ten are then destroyed after the kingdom of Israel was conquered in 722. So the tribes of Reuben, Simeon, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Manasseh, Ephraim, they're gone. They don't exist any longer. The remaining Jews, they were unified, all right. They were now unified against a common enemy. Those who kept coming and invading them. Generally speaking, there were two sides, however, that emerged in that as they were occupying forces in Israel. Generally, there was one side that weren't called Pharisees at first, but eventually they were called Pharisees, that said, we want to remain distinct culturally. We want to maintain the fabric of Judaism. We believe the Old Testament is the inspired word of God, and we're going to keep it, and we're going to obey it. On the other side were the Sadducees, as they eventually were called. And they decided that they were going to work with the different enemies that came in. They would find ways to serve these new masters that came into the region. They would compromise. They were more liberal, theologically speaking and culturally speaking. And they would surrender different beliefs that they had... By the time Jesus came on the scene, the Sadducees didn't even believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in life after death. So it was this kind of disunity and cultural crushing that was happening through external political forces that was happening when Jesus was walking the earth. His covenant people had been bathed and baptized in war since the very beginning of their existence. And it was still happening. And in the midst of this, you can now understand Jesus' prayer in John 17 a little better. As Jesus said, I do not ask for these only, verse 20... ...but also those who would believe in me through their word... ...that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me... ...and I in you, that they also may be in us... ...so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I have given them... ...so that so they may be even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. What a miracle Jesus was praying for. He was saying, this time God's people will be one. This time is going to be different. We're going to be unified in a different way under my covenant leadership. And that's going to reveal that I really am the Messiah that I really am everything that I've claimed to be. And everything turned out just fine, because the church stayed one, Jews and Gentiles got along just fine. The end. Yeah, that's not what happened. Jesus' prayer is coming true but it's coming true in pockets. There are pockets of believers in this world that love each other, that love everybody else, and then there's everybody else who hates them (laughs) because they're too liberal or because they're Baptist or because they're Presbyterian or something. Well, Paul understands This he is educated concerning the teaching of Jesus, he's educated concerning the teaching of Jesus in ways that you and I never will be because he had had conversations with Jesus at times, sometimes while he was laying on the ground covered in in dust. But he had talked to, to Jesus and he had experienced communion and fellowship. With him in the desert for three and a half years in prayer and meditation that was impacting. And so Paul comes into his time of ministry thinking we've already got problems in unity in the church, and Jesus has already said that for us to be demonstrating that, that, that evangelism looks as much like proclaiming the gospel, as much as that's important, it's important that we be unified and be one. That that's part of proclaiming the gospel. But he's got a problem. Because the very first thing he does, the very first book that Paul wrote, who knows the first book that Paul wrote? Galatians, that's right. I'm going to ban you from answering questions, Steve give other people a chance. (laughs) The very first book he wrote was Galatians... ...and Galatians was all about divisions. It was all about a division that had occurred... ...because the Jewish believers saw the problem of disunity... ...and they had a solution. They had heard the words of Jesus too... ...about the importance of being one. And I think at least in the beginning... ...with the right attitude they said we have a suggestion on how to make the church one. Go get, go get a rock. You, hold still. Um, they had an idea of how to make new believers into Jewish people. They were going to make the early church, the new church, Christ church, they were going to make it into something a lot more Jewish. And if they could do that, We'd be unified, and according to Jesus' own words in John 17, that's what will show the world that he's the Messiah. And so they went forth. And Paul had to write the book of Galatians to address that, no, 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 that's not the way you go about unity. That's demonic. That's evil. That's adding to the gospel of grace. And we cannot do that. So he immediately attempts to unify the church around the gospel of grace and away from a teaching that would add to the gospel anything like the works, the ceremonial works that were in the Old Covenant. Paul is, in the book of Romans... Still addressing a lot of that tension between Jews and Gentiles. But this time, rather than focusing on a specific situation, a specific problem in the book of Galatians, he's looking at the big picture. And he's giving the the big picture of his logic, of his reasons of approaching with such strong language the unity of faith. The unity of faith. ...of one Lord, one faith... ...and one baptism that he spoke of... ...in Ephesians chapter 4... ...in Romans, he's explaining... ...how that works. Now... ...as he moves forward... ...to explain this... ...he's still addressing... ...the problem... ...of disunity... ...in the church. And he's giving a gospel background to why he opposes the solution of the Judaizers and that there's only one thing that can truly unify the church and that's the righteousness of Christ applied to helpless sinners of every race, of every age, of every type. It's that our common need and Christ's common solution is what unifies us finally, and fully. And so, the purpose of Romans is bringing unity to the growing multi-ethnic church by establishing the universal need of the gospel for everyone. And by everyone, I don't mean just Jews and Gentiles. Because as you read the book of Romans, you understood that both Christians and Christians and non-Christians need the gospel. That the mature and immature need the gospel. In the same way that that, that the, everyone needs their hearts to be filled with the gospel just like fuel that fills your car. And there's no one, mature or immature, Christian or non-Christian, that doesn't need that the fuel of the gospel of grace filling your heart. Because if you choose something else, some of that nasty corn fuel stuff that we pour in our gas tanks now that clogs everything up, if you've put some of that in your chainsaws and other small engines, you know what it does to them. It's horrible. Just imagine what happens to a believer when he grows up and, and, and thinks well it's unbelievers that need the gospel and so we'll preach the gospel to unbelievers in the church but believers they've grown beyond that when you grow beyond the need of the gospel you grow beyond your need of Christ and if you say but pastor isn't the gospel just believe in Jesus and you get saved hey, that's your problem right there You've truncated and shrunk the gospel down to a point to where it no longer applies to you. What a terrible life it is to wake up on Monday morning and think the gospel doesn't apply to me. that the gospel's not for me, I wouldn't get up on Monday morning. It wouldn't be worth it. The goal of the book of Romans is to argue that the gospel is for every person. Now, the book of Romans can be outlined in a variety of ways. I'm going to take this way of doing it. Jack outlined it in a six-part outline. Jack, I love you. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take a four-part outline. Romans 1 through 4 reveals just exactly what God's righteousness is and what it is not. That's Romans 1 through 4. Then Romans 5 through 8, Paul describes the new identity that those who have been made righteous by faith in Christ experience and how that new identity is formed and what it looks like and what it feels like. Romans 9 through 11 Paul explains how this gift of righteousness fulfills God's promises to Israel. And how he has not abandoned them, but has fulfilled his promises to them through this gospel of grace. And then Romans 12 through 16, he shows how this church of united Jews and Gentiles... Now complete with their new identity in Christ, which is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither male nor female. How this new identity in Christ is lived out by faith in a sinful world and in a maturing, growing church. That's our journey Uh, For the next while, we're going to journey through the book of Romans looking at that. We'll take detours for a little Easter here and there. We'll take a little detour for things like that. I just want to look at the first seven verses today. And again, I'm sorry, Jack. I'm going to do all seven verses in just one sermon. Just one part of one sermon. I'm going to do these seven verses. Paul says he's a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Look at number one. Paul knows whose he is. He's a servant of Christ Jesus. And he knows who he is. He's been called to be an apostle. And he has been set apart for the gospel of God. That's his mission. He knows whose he is. He knows who he is, and he knows what his mission is. One of our struggles at Evergreen is we're not so sure about those things. As a body, we're not so sure about this. So it's provided the work of MMO, the work of the building committee... ...has provided some very interesting questions for the session and for the the church... ...that we haven't been able to answer easily in some ways because in some ways we don't know the answer to what our mission is here. We know our purpose. We're trying to glorify God and honor Him and love the people around us and see people converted and see the next generation do the same thing. we got the general idea. But when it comes down to what are we going to do over the next two or three years to accomplish those goals, we're struggling there. And we're going to have a leadership retreat coming up at the end of January. Congregation, please be praying for the deacons and elders in the church as we get together and pray about this, talk about this, and seek uh, for the Lord to give us his wisdom. The second thing we see here, get to verse 2 now, is it's the message that he's been given. His mission is a message. And it's not one that he just came up with off the top of his head, but it's a message about his Son. Number one, which he promised beforehand through his prophets. We talked just last week about how in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, we see prophecy, 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 prophecy. You're going to see the same thing happening here in the book of Romans where Paul is constantly drawing from the book of Isaiah, bringing in the prophets because if he's going to talk about who God is and who his son is, you kind of don't want to be making that stuff up on the spot. You want to be drawing from God's revelation that everyone already agrees is God's inerrant word, and so he's drawing from the prophets. And these promises are different than just teachings. It's one thing to draw on a teaching from the Old Testament that as everybody looks at it, we say, yeah, that looks pretty good but it's another thing to draw on the prophecies from the Old Testament that have been certified as being true because they happened just the way they were predicted. The Scriptures have a certain type of certification to them through the preaching of prophecy, through the writing of prophecy that God has given us in His Word. And woe be unto us if we don't pay attention to prophecy, because if we don't, we cut ourselves off from one of the main reasons we should be confident in the Scriptures. He was promised beforehand through his prophecies, prophets... and he was descended from David according to the flesh. If you go to the Gospels, if you look at the Gospels... notice all the genealogies that are there. If you go to the Old Testament, look at all those genealogies that were there. Is that just because they liked genealogy? They were just those kinds of people that were, you know, like premium members of Ancestry.com. Well, yeah, they were those kinds of people. That, That really was important to them. But it was important to them because of the prophecies that the Messiah would be a son of David, that he would come from the line of Jesse, that he would come from the tribe of Judah. All those prophecies including the ones involving Jesus' birth from Mary. All those demonstrated Christ's Messiahship. And He was declared to be the Son of God... in power according to the spirit of holiness... by His resurrection from the dead. So this message about His Son that Paul has... is promised through the prophets... It's that Jesus was descended from David according to the flesh. And he was declared to be the Son of God... ...in power according to the Spirit of holiness... ...by his resurrection from the dead. And right there you see the Trinity already spoken of in this first section... ...because you have the Spirit at work in raising the Son of God from the dead. Now this Son is then Jesus Christ our Lord. And the rest of the verses there march out what that looks like. This Jesus Christ our Lord is through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among the nations. So first of all, it's through whom we've received grace and apostleship. If you've received salvation through any other name, you haven't received salvation. I made the... I don't know if it was a mistake or not, but I tried to watch... I watched for probably 15 minutes last night the worship service from Joel Osteen's church. It wasn't all wrong. But as far as preaching... ...salvation in the name of Jesus? Sadly, it wasn't there. They would talk generally about God... ...generally about His benefits that He gives us... ...and therefore you ought to believe and have faith... ...and go forward because God loves you... ...and He's He's caring for you... ...and His love has conquered all your problems... ...if you'll just believe. That was the, the general message that's not salvation through Jesus Christ. Because if you get salvation through Jesus Christ, that includes salvation through the cross. The same Christ that said, take up your cross and follow me. The same Christ that Paul spoke of when he said the kingdom of God comes through much suffering. If you're going to come through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to be saved, that means you're going to come through the cross. That means you're going to find yourself at one time or the other in your life walking up a hill, carrying something heavy, wondering if you're going to die. But Christ is there with you. Your load is easy, your burden is light because... He's died for His people already. But those who suffer with Him will reign with Him. And that's the good news from the Scriptures. And not only do we receive grace and salvation through Christ, but Paul says, I've received my apostleship through Him as well. Did Paul receive his apostleship just by singing a, a, a cool song with laser lights and smoke going everywhere. No, God kicked him off of his donkey, knocked him on the ground, stomped on his face where his eyes weren't even working right for several days. And then if that wasn't good enough, shipwrecked him four or five times. Snakes bit him. He was starving and hungry and prison in the middle of earthquakes. Paul had experienced the kind of suffering that comes from walking with Jesus closely. You say, well pastor that hasn't been my Christian life. Then maybe you're not walking the Christian life. Maybe you're not walking with Christ because I don't see anything else in the scriptures describing the life of a believer where everything's going right all the time. I do see that In American culture, where with the proper use of money, the proper use of of wisdom and taking counsel on how to invest all your money and all that stuff, you can, through pharmaceutical means, make yourself happy and everything feel good all the time. You can do it. You can sit there in your bed with your cell phone and watch that until you go to sleep at night. And as soon as you wake up in the morning, you can pick it up again and start looking at it again and convince yourself that life is supposed to be happy and exciting and wonderful. And you can watch other people do dangerous things, but not you. That's not the Christian life. And as we go through the book of Romans, if you're still stuck, and I'm still stuck, in the idea that the Christian life is one of following the yellow brick road, of just skipping along and enjoying the happy, positive thoughts that God has about me, you're going to be disappointed in the book of Romans because that's not its message. And woe be unto me if I find a way to twist it into that message. This Son is Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we receive grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. This is a lifestyle of practical holiness that we see worked out in Romans 7, Romans 8, Romans uh, 12. Uh, This is a practical lifestyle of holiness and righteousness that doesn't feel like a big load of bricks put in your backpack but it feels like an honor that I get to walk and live out the Christian life with Jesus Christ and Evergreen Church and the angels and the host that's gone on before me, the church triumphant, cheering me on. This message that Paul has is to bring about the obedience of faith. And it brings a certain balance to the teaching of grace. There are some churches you can go into, and some of them are in the PCA by the way, where they think that the teaching of grace means you just don't talk about obedience. You don't talk about service. You don't talk about striving for personal holiness. Well Christ is my righteousness. Why would I want to strive to be righteous? Because the Bible says so. That's why. And because the people around you are miserable. Because you don't care about character. You don't care about forgiveness. You just want to be happy. Because Jesus has made you happy. And you want everybody else to be happy with who you are. And they aren't happy. Maybe they're pretending they are. Some of you are very patient though. And I appreciate that. Particularly my wife. But Jesus Christ, our Lord, Paul's preaching that we find here in Romans... ...is to bring about the obedience of faith. That's his goal. That's his motive. And it's going to be weary for you going through the book of Romans... ...if you're just not interested in that. Because I'm going to preach it, and I'm going to preach it a lot. And finally, it's for the sake of his name among the nations... He wants to glorify God amongst the peoples of all the nations. He wants to make the nations glad with the preaching of this gospel that's taught so clearly in the book of Romans. So these are the themes that we see themes that are all interwoven with prophecy, theology, the work of the Holy Spirit, Christian living, our identity in Christ, the glory of God. We're going to see this all played out through the book of Romans. But Paul is still, in these seven verses, he's still preparing us for the main thought. He's just getting warmed up. That the righteousness of Christ applied to us by faith ...is salvation. Nothing else will do... ...and everything else we add to that message... ...is nothing but trouble... ...because it will lead to disunity... ...in the church... ...as things that are not the gospel... ...get proclaimed as such... ...and people fight about it. The church that ignores... ...the kind of unity... ...that Paul is accomplishing... ...bringing about... ...here in the preaching of Romans those churches will split. Those churches will struggle. Those churches will not necessarily die because they'll find ways to keep themselves going in a culture like ours. You just feed it money and eventually it'll grow and stay around, even if it's not preaching the gospel anymore. Let that not happen to us. But let us remain vigilant to preach the gospel of grace as Paul has laid before us here in the book of Romans. And thus we'll find our delight and our joy in his gift of righteousness to helpless sinners like you and like me. Let us pray.